0: Does this mean it's over? Does this mean he likes me? Are butterflies good? Am I
1: ever going to meet someone? I'm tired of swiping. Am Am I I normal? normal? Don't forget the maiden game is the most important game we play. I mean you're looking for life's greatest prize. You can keep waiting for the fairy
0: tale or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've read my Date Lab articles in the Washington Post then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to a very special Valentine's Day episode of Dates and Mates. Yep, tomorrow's the day. And if it's anything like we've seen in love stories, you're half expecting to have a meet cute magically appear when you lock eyes with that special someone on the subway and Cupid slings his arrow at your hearts just in time for February 14th. But if my past experience tells me anything, the day is more likely to be a mix of people who hate it, singles who wait for it, and couples who really could give or take it. And there's probably a lot of feelings in between too. But regardless of what your date status is for Valentine's Day, I like to look to the past so that we can chart our path to the brightest, most fulfilling future. If you're single and you want to just skip ahead past Valentine's Day, then Boy, do I have the show for you today. Joining me is one of my absolute idols, Dr. Helen Fisher. She's a best-selling author, and she's also the chief science advisor to the Match Dating app. She will be sharing the latest insights from the annual Singles in America study. I am like ravenous for the study, you guys. I I love it. Every year I I like wait with bated breath to share this with you. And I cannot believe. I got Dr. Helen Fisher here to unpack the data with me this year. This is the first time she's ever joined me live for this discussion. She's so knowledgeable. And this study uncovered so many new dating trends that this actually turned out to be a supersized interview. Not surprised. I, I really, I was not surprised. <laughs> Maybe producer Lindsay was a little bit surprised. Maybe you're a little surprised. I was not surprised because I knew that there was so much in here to discuss with her. So we're not serving up a dating dish today, but I do have a steamy hot dear Damona for you later in the show. How do I get my guy to stop talking about his exes? What a very F the fairy tale style Valentine's Day episode. LOL. All right, friends, let's get our guest to the table. Dr. Helen Fisher is a PhD biological anthropologist. She's a senior research fellow at the Kinsey Institute, Indiana University, and the chief science advisor to the Match Dating App. She has written six books on evolution, biology, and psychology, the psychology of human sexuality specifically. She's talked about monogamy, adultery, divorce, gender differences in the brain, the neural chemistry of romantic love and attachment, human biology-based personality styles, why we fall in love with one person rather than another, hooking up, friends with benefits, living together, and pretty much any dating trend that you could possibly Think about. She's actually quoted in my book, in "F the Fairy Tale." I have learned from her, I have worked alongside her, and I have admired her for many years. So, please, for the first time, let's give some big smooches and welcome her to the show. It's Dr. Helen Fisher.
1: I am delighted to be with you. I am so
0: glad that you're here, and I have so much to talk to you about. First of all, this Singles in America study. So, I've been doing dates and mates now for eleven years, um, and. Singles in America, this is the 13th annual study. So uh, I think I've covered it at least half of those years, but it's always interesting to see what new data emerges from the study. So let's just kick it off with that. Um, as someone, you've been a part of, of the Match uh, the Match family. You've been their chief science advisor. You said since 2005 when we were chatting yeah. for
1: Wow. 14 and a half years or something. And for a good reason. It's very interesting. What I've done with them is so interesting. I mean, why would you walk out on something that's so cool?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you've seen so many changes. Like, I've been coaching for a long time um, on online dating and offline dating. But, you know, I started out as a dating profile writer 17 years ago. So I've seen a lot of shifts and a lot of trends uh, come and go. But I'm really curious to hear... From you having done this study for so many years in a row, what new details emerged this year that really surprised you?
1: We cook up about 200 questions every single year and that we want to know. We do not poll the match members. This is a national representative sample of singles based on the U.S. census. So it's real science. Black, white, Asian, Latino, gay, straight, everything in the middle, age 18 to 71 plus, et cetera, et cetera. So it's real science. And every year we do some trend questions like, what are you looking for in a partner? Just to see what what happens. Never changes, by the way. But, uh, and every year we do um, some new things. And they was very creative this year. I mean, we did one thing on, you know, polyamory. Everybody's talking about that. We did a thing on AI. I think we're the first to really get any solid data on how people are using AI in dating. And we certainly always ask about politics this year because it's a political year, And another very unusual thing that we did, uh, we asked, you know, about sex education and, you know, the kind of sex education you did have, what you didn't have, and what you would have liked to have had to become a better dater and better at sex and better at relationships today. So those three things, I I, I think, are, you know, polyamory, AI, and um, what people really wanted to get educated in when they were young about sex. Wow,
0: it's fascinating, and that's even just the tip of the iceberg. There's other stuff I want to unpack with you. We'll put polyamory aside for today because we've done episodes on it before. Most of my my clients, most of them, I know there's some people that are like Damona, I'm typing right now, (laughs) my commentary, but most of them are looking for monogamous, long-term relationships. Some for marriage, some not for marriage, and you even looked at that in the study, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But since you brought
1: up AI, I want to start with AI. I just want to say one thing about the polyamory, if we get there. It's actually good news. Even though 31% of Americans have tried some sort of, uh, you know, sex outside of the, the commitment, et cetera, the vast majority do want to go back. All their sexual experimentation is not ruining their ultimate drive to form a partnership and settle down with somebody. So I, I think that's the news out of that. I mean, we could say much more about it, but AI, okay.
0: All right, so here's um, the interesting thing because I I wrote a book that just came out in January. I wrote it actually, uh, you know, you know how books work. You've written a few yourself. I had to turn it in last year, like last April, and so really AI was just starting to hit, and I actually lobbied with my editor to add a section. On AI, because I was like, by the time I saw what was happening and I saw how rapidly this was moving. And I was like, if I don't talk about it, if I don't address AI now, by the time this book comes out, people are going to be wondering why I wasn't talking about it. So I'm really glad that you asked the questions. One of the questions that I get a lot is Did you get the AI into your book? I did. And I said, even as someone who's written dating profiles for 17 years, I said, I think we should use all of the tools at our disposal. It's another reason why I'm so bullish on dating apps. This is just a tool, but you have to know how to use the tool. So in the Singles in America study, you found that 43% of of the people studied used it to help write their dating app profile. Now, I know you're looking at the data and you're, you're, you're here to talk about the study, but I'm just curious as another professional in this space, where you think that ethical line is between... I'm using this tool and and I'm putting forward uh, an identity that isn't really authentic to who I am.
1: Listen, we've always wanted advice. I mean, I'm an anthropologist. A million years ago, you asked your mother, your aunt, your girlfriends, et cetera, et cetera. We were always collecting data from anybody that we could in order to court properly. I mean, don't forget the maiden game is the most important game we play. I mean, you're looking for life's greatest prize. This whole courtship process evolved so that we could send our DNA on into tomorrow and you know, and survive. So the bottom line is, it's just the newest way to do the same old thing. Um, this year, in our study of 5,000 people based on the US census, 43% use some kind of uh, AI to write a profile. Uh, 37% uh, uh, used it to help write the first message. Wow. Uh, 27% said that uh, it helped them get better matches. 26% said that that it helped them get more matches. And 32% said it helped them meet people faster. I don't know what's wrong with that. Yeah. So the bottom line is this is just the newest way to do the same old thing, which is to get ideas from anybody you can in this case, AI, just getting ideas so that you can present yourself in a better way. I like that when you said just another tool, it's just another tool.
0: I agree with you. And even as someone who like a lot of the things you just said, um, help, help with writing a profile, help with sending messages, help with sorting matches, that's literally what I've built my career doing. And I'm still saying, use the tool. Let's use all of the tools because I do feel like dating today has gotten more complicated. Um, I'm very careful not to say that it's harder. I do not believe that dating today is harder. I actually think it's easier than it's ever been I agree to
1: meet people, right? Much easier. I mean, how about a million years ago? You got one waterhole and you meet everybody there once a year? How about 20 years ago? Like...
0: (laughs) You know, seriously. I mean, I've been. I was an early adopter of online dating, so I was using dating apps when, pe- like, people now Gen-, Gen Z daters are like, yeah, and and even online dating wasn't even around back then. I'm like,
1: no, it definitely was. They're not even dating apps. They're introducing services. The only real outcome is your own brain. And thank God. I mean, because how many older people there are now? I mean, they already know everybody in their social circle, in their work circle, in their vacation places or whatever. How are they going to meet people? And there's so much, you know, turnover in relationships that it's just a great new tool. Just like you said, I'm so glad I'm with somebody who's got a brain. (laughs) <laughs>
0: Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's programming the algorithm as we speak.
1: We were saying that there
0: are now so many more ways to make a connection, but ultimately that drive for human connection that is hardwired. We are always going to want, as you said, we we need to procreate, we need to be in community with others. And there was a part of the study, Helen, that was so fascinating to me. um It was titled "Lonely and Hopeful," and According to recent Gallup polls, a quarter of Americans are lonely, says the Match Singles in America study. But according to your research, one in five young singles actually feel that loneliness positively impacts their dating life. I need an explainer, please.
1: It's a wake up call. Get out there, get on a dating site, you know, meet more friends, pick up a new hobby, etc. But there's no reason to be lonely these days. We can conquer this loneliness. I do think it's legitimate. I do think that people are lonely. Uh, I think that it's one of the problems of the internet. You can see what everybody's doing. The other thing about the internet is you got so many choices. You know, I mean, one of the things that I always say to people is if you're gonna um, meet people through these introducing sites, after you've met five to nine people who are in the ballpark at all, get off the dating site and focus on just one or more of them. The brain is not built, and you, I'm sure you know this, it's just simply not built uh, to cope with more than about nine options. There's good proof of that in the neuroscientific community.
0: I agree with you, and if my, my listeners have heard me say the same thing, like look for reasons to say yes over reasons to say no. Um, I think part of the issue also, Helen, is that we sometimes daters enter the dating pool and enter these introduction sites, as you call them. Thank you without a lot of clarity on what they're really looking for, or yeah. with, as you said, a list that actually doesn't factor into long term compatibility, like well, I have a dog, so he must have a dog or must like dogs or must whatever the criteria is, sometimes it's surface level. And what I do in my practice is take people a level beneath that to get to the true pillars of long-term compatibility and you. decide, yeah, the, the yes or the no based on that, not based on superficial qualities. So just bringing it back to the Match Singles in America study again, I was very intrigued around what you found around attraction and how that may be shifting. So mm-hmm. um, in in the book that I just wrote, F the Fairy Tale," I identify the four biggest myths that land people in my office. One of them is the chemistry myth. And I will say in all the media I've done around the book, that is the one that people give me the most pushback about. And I was saying that, like, you have to have some level of attraction. I think people misunderstood that I was saying, like, you don't need any chemistry. I I say let's trade chemistry for curiosity, but you need some level of curiosity. But it it doesn't have to be, like, the sparks and the fireworks and all the things, right? And so you you found some data in the Singles in America study that sort of uh, seems to be identifying a shift towards people— Um, being willing to to, I don't want to say um set aside physical attraction, but
1: not to weight it as heavily as as we may have done in the past. We have seen that ever since uh the pandemic. During the pandemic, things really shifted. Yeah. We always every single year we ask these trend questions, and one of them is what are you looking for? And there's about 30 boxes you can check, and then we look at the six the first the highest five. Every single year, actually since since we began this in 2010, um, the top things are somebody who respects me, uh, somebody who I can trust and confide in, uh, somebody who makes me laugh, that's good, drives up the dopamine system, makes you feel good, somebody who I find physically attractive, um, and somebody who makes enough time for me, that's changed. The physical attraction has gone down. And these days, somebody want they really want somebody who has good communication skills and um, and emotional maturity. So I honestly think you know one thing. I mean, as horrible as that pandemic was, it made a whole lot of people grow up. I call it post traumatic growth. They're growing up. And uh, I, another thing is, it wasn't this year. It was a couple of years ago. But you know, we asked what they want much more now um both men and women uh, want a partner who is the, has an income that matches theirs, uh who has the same level of education, uh, and who has a successful career, not just a job, but a successful career. So singles are really looking for some very solid things. And the I mean people still want somebody who's sexually attractive. That's obvious. You've got to I mean if you're gonna have babies, you might as well gotta get in bed together. But the bottom <laughs> line is um it doesn't play the role It used to play a lot of years, but we didn't do it this year. We, I asked a question, um, have you ever fallen madly in love with someone who you did not initially find attractive? And this has gone steadily up and was sometime in the 20%, right? 2015 or so. And it's now something like 49% of, of singles have said, yes, I have had the experience of, of, you know, not, originally finding somebody physically attractive, and then uh, eventually falling madly in love with them. And I think that's a grown up. It's a sign of being grown up that people are willing to go out, overlook that initial chemistry, which is very important to overlook. It's like, like you said and be mature enough to get to know them, start laughing with them, learn more about them. And you know that brains I mean what I've put a, I and my colleagues have put over 100 people into the brain scanner using fMRI studying you know people who are madly in love. It's a basic brain system like anger and uh, you know fear. It can be triggered instantly. But you have to give Cupid a chance. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, when you, and when these people push back about the chemistry, it, it, it is a myth. That's beautiful that you're saying that. I really think I'm, I'm. I'm delighted that you say that. I'm not surprised that they push back. There's so many myths about love. I mean, I I've got over 100 myths about love.
0: <laughs> I had a lot more, but my editor was like, "Can you narrow it down?" <laughs> <laughs> top four maybe yeah okay, all right <laughs> yeah but the the myths I think they're 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 really linked to our our drive for stories and t- wanting to tell the story what's wanting to get to the end of the story and it's really interesting what happens when you release whatever the story was because so much has shifted even just hearing you say that that the these sort of chemistry myth, uh, if if I can insert myself into the narrative here, that the chemistry myth has has shifted so much during the pandemic. I also found it really interesting that Gen Z singles, uh, one in three, moved in the last year. Yeah, that's huge. And I I said on the show a lot that that was a big thing that changed, like the last. Wait, how long has it been that we've been in the pandemic? It's four years. It's it. What? Is it four years now? Wow. (laughs) It's coming up on four years. So much change in the last four years that really impacted the way that we connect. And I have found that because of that nomadic nature, because of just our insecurity around finances, our insecurity around our health and just knowing the future, it changed how we connected. Mm-hmm. and it 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 made people's behavior a little less predictable for me mm. in my business. I don't know if if that if the results here over the last couple of years have surprised you in that way, but the behaviors seem to have shifted
1: well, they're more serious. i'm I'm crazy about Gen Z and millennials. they are i'm mean, I'm calling them the new Victorians. Oh. they are serious. But back to your thing about um you know, travel, I think one of the biggest reason that people are traveling now is because of the hybrid workforce. Yeah, You know, because you don't have to be in the office nine to five in the same place, you know, uh, you're in, you're out. You can actually move and join your boyfriend, you know, or girlfriend, you know, three hours away and still keep your job. And I think that that has been a, you know, a uh, a great motivating force is the hybrid workforces. So I'm not surprised they're moving. Uh, I do think they are the new Victorians. I think they're maturing quite late. I think they're very, very serious. Uh, generation. And, uh, you know, one of the things, for example, all these new terms, I got they, they are so defining love with the breadcrumbing and the gaslighting and the triggering and all that kind of stuff. They are uh, dedicated to getting this right. So I wrote an article of, uh, a couple of years ago called Slow Love Courtship in the Digital Age. And what I maintain, and it's based on solid data from Match and other places. That I mean, 50 years ago, you know, a girl would marry at approximately age 21. Man would marry at around age 22, 23. These days, singles—the average is they're marrying women at 28 or 29, men at 29 or 30, 31. So we've got a whole decade there of, um, you know, courtship without commitment. It's the pre-commitment stage has expanded, and giving both sexes enough time to get to know themselves to try people out they're not squares to get rid of what doesn't work before they get caught into something and have children and can't get out and so i look at the demographic yearbooks of the united nations and as it turns out in 80 cultures around the world the later the longer you court and the later you wed the more likely you are to remain together and there's a study of 3,000 American singles and the same thing they found, that the longer you court and the later you wed, the more you likely you are to remain together for obvious reasons. You've figured it, figured it out. You know more about yourself. Um, you've tried this person out for two or three years before you uh, tie the knot. And I honestly think that we might be moving towards a few decades of relative family stability. The pandemic pushed singles to grow up Uh, to be quite serious about what they're looking for. They're still going to have their one-night stands. They have had one-night stands since we came down out of the trees, for God's sakes. But the bottom line is they're trying them out. They're learning about who they are. Uh, You know, they're doing their polyamory and and all of that. And even this current Singles in America, 2023, is proving that even – even trying out polyamory and swinging and open relationships is not changing the human brain. We are still driven to form real partnerships that are sexually faithful. And um, all this trying out of people in one way or another is is not killing the basic human drive to settle down. And because we're doing it so much later with slow love, we really could be looking forward to a few decades of relative family stability. Wow. You just gave us a masterclass, class.
0: <laughs> <Helen. laughs> like, honestly. I mean, I have studied your work for so long, and it informs a lot of what I tell people on the show. I talk about slow love and and now slow dating is sort of the new term. But I, I always give you credit, Dr. Helen Fisher, I always say you were the you were the first one to coin that term, but uh, you know, I've seen it in my practice uh, for a long time that as you as you take time with that courtship process, and kind of going back to chemistry, I say that the true chemistry really deepens and develops over time. Absolutely. In my book, I look at the shift in marrying age, and I hadn't even thought about what you just said of the window of pre, like the pre-marriage, that courtship period expanding and how that really has affected the dating process. So on a macro level. I I, I kind of look at it on an individual micro level in the book, but wow, my mind is blown. Okay. We have to end our interview on a high note. (laughs) I know everyone wants to know about sex. (laughs) You were talking about, about our drive for sex um, and how, how our brains really are the same since we came down out of the trees. I don't know what you said. <laughs> so looking at this data that you found um, from the 2023 Singles in America study, it says 60% are open to a makeout session, 43% are open to discussing sexual likes and dislikes, and 36% are open to getting naked, touching oral sex and or intercourse. I know you've looked at this over m- previous years as well. How do those numbers align? Like, are more people open to to 36%. To me, feels like in the third day, that seems like it might be higher
1: than it has been before. These days, you know, the lid is off the pot. Uh, In other words, (laughs) you know, we, you know, I mean, most um, American singles know how to not get pregnant. Uh, They know how to not catch a sex disease. Um, They don't have to walk the walk of shame if they try somebody out. And so basically, um, they are uh, no longer under a a veil, really, of uh, taboos and um, repercussions uh, from their behavior. And so under those circumstances, people are going to try somebody out. You know, it's so interesting because casual sex is not casual. When you have sex with somebody, any stimulation of the of the genitals can drive up the dopamine system in the brain and trigger feelings of romantic love. With orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin uh, linked with feelings of deep attachment. And so, and of course, when you have sex, you're also driving up the testosterone system, which makes people feel good. So basically, the three basic brain systems that evolve from mating and reproduction, the sex drive, Feelings of intense romantic love and feelings of deep attachment can all get triggered um, when you have sex with somebody. And it was very interesting. We did a study about oh, a couple of years ago, and we asked, why do you go into a um, one-night stand? Uh, and we found that men were two times more likely to go into a one-night stand hoping to trigger a longer Relationship with somebody. Whoa. And when I say that, it's like you with the chemistry thing. People don't even want to believe me. That's a fact. And, you know, men fall in love faster than women, they fall in love more often. And it seems to be almost a male mechanism to try to trigger a longer partnership. I mean, we've done this study for 13 years and women are the picky sex and they are picky sex for good, smart reasons. Everywhere in the world, women spend much more time with uh, raising babies during the first four years. That's not to say that men aren't doing things. I mean, they're going out trying to make some money and feeding the baby. So women have somewhat more to lose, that the lid is off the pot. But anyway, what I th- I think that I'd like to add Here is something that you said that was very interesting. You know, as I said, we've evolved three distinctly different brain systems for mating and reproduction. Sex drive, feelings of intense romantic love, and feelings of deep attachment. Now, sex drive can be triggered instantly. Romantic love can be triggered instantly. But attachment takes time. And you've got to get to know somebody. You can have a deep attachment to somebody for quite a while and then trigger feelings of romantic love. You've just got to give Cupid a chance.
0: That is the perfect sentiment to end this conversation on. And and I think it's also a hopeful note for anyone listening who is going into Valentine's Day, maybe solo, maybe feeling some of those feelings of loneliness that we talked about. and knowing now what the building blocks are, what's, what, what's happening. That's why I love the singles in America study. It's like, we know what's happening on the streets and, but then having it all contextualized through your wisdom and your insights and your research of all the many years. It's so, so, so valuable. So I thank you so much for being here, Dr. Helen Fisher. It's always a pleasure to talk to you.
1: You are a charming kid. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and happy Valentine's Day.
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell my daughter you call me a kid. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> to her, I'm an old lady. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me, Helen. Be sure to check out Helen's work on her website at helenfisher.com. That's H-E-L-E-N-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. And take a look at the Match Singles in America study. We didn't even, honestly, we didn't get through half of it. And there's so much more that you can learn so you can chart your path in love. Check that out at singlesinamerica.com. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. What do I do when my partner regularly brings up his past relationships? Huh. Well, you stay tuned. I love, love, love answering your questions because it really helps me understand what you are dealing with in dating and relationships so that I can make sure that this show meets you where you're at and addresses your needs. And the questions have been pouring in since our Dear Demona episode, and you know I'm here to help. Dear Damona.
1: Demona, help me.
0: All right. This one comes to us in an Instagram DM from a listener. We'll call V. She says, Dear Demona, I love your podcast. Love you too, girl. She said, Your insight along with your guests and followers are helping me navigate this dating world. Here's my background and dilemma. I'm 56. 20-year marriage ended in divorce 10 years ago. I've been actively dating the past seven years, learning what I need at this stage of life. My dilemma. I've been dating a guy for six months. We met on a dating app. We live two hours away from each other and see each other once a month, sometimes twice. We typically spend the weekends at his place. We are not exclusive, although I'm not dating anyone else by choice. He's transparent about having a long-term polyamorous relationship. I know it's a lot. Now these are B's words, not mine. We get along great, have a lot in common, sex is good, and we practice safe sex, but he constantly talks about his past relationships. I appreciate the vulnerability, but I'm getting tired of hearing about all the women he's dated. How can I tell him? I'm not polyamorous, by the way, and didn't expect this to go beyond a summer fling, but it's nice we have an ease about us and we really like each other. I'm not trying to move too fast or force anything, but I'd like to let him know that conversations about his past are starting to turn me off. You know what V and anybody else listening that sends in a question, it's like, how do I talk about this thing? I want to let you know, it's actually so much easier than we make it. It's like the, the simple answer. Don't hate me for saying this. The simple answer is like, How do I talk about this thing? It's like, um, bring up that thing. (laughs) You should talk about that thing. But I want to give you kind of the scaffolding for it because I know a lot of these conversations are emotionally charged. They're difficult to have, not because it's hard for you to find the words. They're difficult to have because we're afraid of the answer that we might get back. Ooh, I know. Mm, Sticky. (laughs) Pre-Valentine's Day, right? We don't want to rock the boat because like the status quo is fine, but we are not feeling fully fulfilled. And if we raise the question and we get the answer and it's not the answer that we want, what does that mean for the future of the relationship? But you got to get the answer because you know what? It's making you feel stress. It's making you feel frustration. It's making you less invested in the relationship and it's causing you pain. So we need to know the answer period. Because you need to know how to move forward with your life, okay? That's what we've been talking about, like this whole episode. How do we move forward into the future? Using the knowledge we have to build the relationships that we want. Okay, here's the part where I'm going to rip the band-aid off and things are going to get a little painful. Why are you in this relationship, V? This person is polyamorous, wants a long-term polyamorous relationship you are not polyamorous, you are not wanting to hear about other people that have been in his life, but the thing that I keep thinking about, which I'm sure you're thinking about too if I'm thinking about it, is okay, he's talking about his past, but like what about his present and all of the other people that are taking up his time and his energy and his uh, uh, emotional investment from you? Mm, that bothers me more, honestly, that bothers me more than the past relationships. And I actually wonder if in some ways the, the conversations about past relationships are sort of a proxy for the polyamory conversation, right? I know, deep, but this sometimes happens where we sort of project our feelings towards what we're hearing and what we're seeing, but it's not necessarily the thing that we're actually having the feelings about. We typically spend the weekend at his place. Okay, so let's do the math here, V. He's polyamorous. you are not. He lives two hours away. You drive, you drive two hours to spend the weekend at his place once a month. So let's say there's an average of 30, 31 days in a month. You're there two to maybe two and a half, three days. So there's a lot of other days that he is not a part of your life so much is on his terms. What's what What's happening on your terms? And what needs do you have that are not getting met? Because I, I really think this idea about the past relationships is really more about an unmet need that you have than it is about just hearing about the relationships. So yeah, you can just ask him, like, can you stop talking about your exes? It's like, it's kind of it's kind of getting awkward. It's been 6 months. And this, by the way, the fact that you even said I'm not trying to push it too fast and <laughs> you've been with this guy for 6 months on and off or one weekend a month for 6 months. This is not too fast. This is like really time to figure this out. And I just wonder what really what you're getting out of it. And does that benefit outweigh a lot of the stress that it seems like he is bringing into your life through this relationship. But here's what I want you to remember. You met on a dating app. You did find a partner you like after divorce. I know it's possible. Sometimes we get scared to go back to the well, too. But sometimes we didn't really bring up the right fish. Okay, I'm mixing my metaphors, but stay with me here. (laughs) Sometimes we get afraid that We don't want to have to do the effort to find the next person. But it sounds like you are putting out a lot of effort here. And I really want you to ask yourself what you are getting in return. Because I don't think your question is actually the question that you asked me. I don't think it's just about being tired of hearing the the women he's dated. If you're going to really be honest with yourself. So let's get down to what is the real problem and how do you express that? I'm going to admit, based on what you wrote, I'm very skeptical that this person is going to be able to be the person that you need him to be, to give him the valuable investment of your time and your emotional energy and your body. But I'm open to being surprised. Here's the thing that you gotta promise me, V. You've gotta really ask yourself, what does that ideal relationship look like for you? This is why I start all my programs with mindset. And if this relationship is not it, It is a block. It is a placeholder that is preventing you from having the bandwidth to pursue something that does meet your needs. So we'll get honest with ourselves first, and then we can be honest with the person we are with. BTW, happy Valentine's Day, V, and everyone listening. I hope you enjoyed episode 495 of Dates and Mates. And if you have a question, like V, like anyone who asked a question during our Dear Demona episode, please y'all send me a DM at Demona Hoffman on Instagram. And I especially love a voice memo on Instagram, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, X, or give me a call or send me a text 424-246-6255. And if you haven't gotten your copy of F the Fairy Tale, what are you waiting for? This is your sign. Go to fthefairytalebook.com. That's the letter F, thefairytalebook.com. Or go to Amazon, go to Barnes & Noble, go to your local bookstore and ask for F the Fairy Tale so that you can get on your way to writing your love story for the future. By the way, if you have read F the Fairy Tale, even if you've just read part of F the Fairy Tale, we're doing a big love fest for Valentine's Day. We are asking everybody what you thought of F the Fairy Tale," and asking you to leave a review on Amazon. It makes a huge difference for me in the book in healing more hearts and helping more people and getting, getting more singles on the road to love. So all you have to do is just leave me a review. I mean, we like five stars, but please be honest. <laughs> leave me a review on Amazon today or tomorrow. I would love for this week to fill that F the fairy tale Amazon review queue with lots of love. And then while you're healing your own heart, you could also help another. We will be back again next Tuesday with writer and comedian Lane Moore to talk about her new book, You're Not the Only One, Fing It Up, Breaking the Endless Cycle of Dating Mistakes. Until then, I wish you happy dating.